When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's more money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years' experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy. He's leading economist Steve Moore with more money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Hello, folks. This is Steve Moore. This is the More Money Show. This is WBC Talk Radio. By the way, I want to do a, a salute to my great friend uh, and mentor, uh, John Casamatidis, who has a best-selling book out now, as you probably just heard from the news broadcast. And uh, it's going to teach you how to get rich, folks. So uh, get John Casamatidis' new book. And uh, he is obviously the owner of this uh, radio station, the guy who really rebuilt it to the number one talk radio station in these United States. So what a privilege it is for me to speak to you uh, and I discuss with you the issues of the week. And I will be taking your calls near the end of the show for like about the last 15 minutes of the show. So I'm going to give you all that um, uh, call-in number because we are Freedom of Speech Radio. I want to hear people from all different political perspectives. We're not, you know, those of us on the right, we don't try to try to squash their speech, right? They're the ones who are the book burners. They're the ones who are trying to tell us what we can and cannot say. Uh, did you see that they are now wanting to rewrite some of the classic children's books like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory because it says it makes fun of fat people or this kind of people or that kind of people? Uh, what is going on here when when you've got liberal censors that are telling you that are rewriting books. I mean, that's literally, folks, what they are doing. They're doing with the with the classics. They're doing it with Huckleberry Finn. Huckleberry Finn, which uh, I believe it was Ernest Hemingway who said all American literature derives from one book, Huckleberry Finn. And now the left wants to ban that book. Uh, they want to. What, what's next? Winnie the Pooh? For goodness sakes! I mean, these people find offense in everything. Uh, we don't do that on the right. If we do, we shouldn't do it because we do believe in the First Amendment. We do believe that everyone should have a voice. And you know why we believe that? Because when we on the right, those who uh, believe in the free enterprise system, who believe in freedom and liberty, we have the arguments on our side. right? So they can go ahead and, you know, blather on about their left wing ideas and we can debate those folks and we beat them because our ideas are superior to those because freedom and liberty is superior to tyranny and um, and um, government control of our lives. It's really that simple, isn't it? Isn't it really that simple that we just, you know, what's that line from that song? People everywhere just want to be free. <laughs> just leave us alone, please, politicians. All right, I wanted to get that off my back because I feel so strongly about what's happening to our country today and this this. Um, movement by the left of just censoring anyone who they disagree with. Now, 
here's topic number one for the day. More and more information is coming in every single day to confirm what I've been saying on this radio show since the beginning of the pandemic. I think we've been on now. I think this is our third or fourth year. I have to check with my producer, but we've been doing this for a long time. Every Saturday afternoon, tell your friends, by the way, the More Money Show, 1 p.m. on WABC Radio and other affiliated stations. And uh, one of the things that I've been saying since the beginning of the pandemic is that the government experts and the government health um, scientists and so many of the people like Fauci were lying to us about COVID. Now, I'm not saying that COVID wasn't a deadly virus. Of course it was. A million people died from COVID. This was one of the most deadly viruses we've had in 50 years in this country since basically polio. But the idea that what 5 million people remember, 5 million people are going to die and everybody has to be locked up in their houses and we have to shut down the churches and we have to shut down the schools and we have to shut down everything and everybody has to, you know, be huddled up in the corner of their bedroom in the fetal position because this killer virus is going to kill us all. And almost all of these projections about what was going to happen were not only wrong. I mean, look, I, even me. Even I'm wrong sometimes. Just ask my wife if I'm wrong sometimes, and she will count the ways that I've been wrong. So we all make mistakes. But what's really sinister about what happened with COVID is that they intentionally lied to us, folks. The government officials intentionally lied to create a state of fear in America so that we would all stay um, huddled up in the corner of our rooms in the fetal position. Um, that's what they wanted to have happen because they thought they would save the planet by keeping us all locked up. Um, they said things like, you know, we're going to, 3 million people are going to die. No, that was never going to happen. They said that everybody is vulnerable to COVID. No, we knew from the start that it was mo almost exclusively old people and, and old people really were, you know, very uh, much in a dangerous situation. So we should have protected them and let other people get on with their lives. But then, they lied about the origins. I mean, right? they lied about the origins of COVID. I remember, look, I was working with Donald Trump at the time. I remember meetings with him in the in the Oval Office in the White House where we were talking about this. And Trump believed very fervently that this was uh, something that had been leaked intentionally or not from these Chinese labs in the Wuhan. And we were calling it the Wuhan virus because that's what it was. It was the Wuhan virus. And do you remember what the left said? Oh, my God, Donald Trump is a racist. He hates Orientals. He hates Asians. He hates people, uh, you know, for, with brown skins. No, this was we hated the communists in Beijing and in the, in the Wuhan that were putting together a chemical, biological um, weapon to use against the United States of America. Now, do we know that for certain that they did this intentionally? No, I don't think we know this, that it was intentional, but we do know that it came from these these labs and we know it leaked out. And where are the apologies by CNN, by Dr. Fauci, by all of these vote by their board of trustees killed the nine? Why would they do that? Why would they basically lie to us about these things? So I've got to tell you, folks, I am extraordinarily angry about what our government did to us. And we cannot allow this to happen again. This is one of my, you know, my bugaboos. The government cannot be allowed to tell us 
that they're going to take away our very basic freedoms as they did during COVID and they lie about to us. Now, why is this important? Why am I bringing this up? Obviously, because it's in the news, but there's a more important point. You know, uh, uh, I think it was a Fox News poll. I just saw it yesterday. And I'm not sure if it was Fox News. Uh, it might have been Reuters. That only one out of four Americans now believes the media. Only one out of every four of us do. Um, only one third of us believe the media most of the time. So there is a credibility crisis in the media. Gee, I wonder where that came from. I wonder why people don't trust the media. Because they were in on this. <laughs> the New York Times and all these others were in on it. The, the fact that they keep telling people, children, to get vaccinated, outrageous. No, I'm not an anti-vax guy. I'm not an anti-vaccination. I think Operation Warp Speed did save hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lives in the United States and millions around the world. Thank you, Donald J. Trump. Uh, but I also believe that this idea that we have to have vaccine and get third and fourth and fifth you know, shots and that we have to mandate people doing it and that children should be vaccinated, outrageous outrageous. I'm a libertarian. I believe if you want to get the shot, get the shot. If you don't want to get the shot, don't get it. I don't believe the government has the right to tell you that you have to shoot chemicals into your body. I'm just, that's me. And I wonder how you all feel about this. We have a crisis of confidence in government. And by the way, that's a good thing. People should be skeptical of the things our politicians say. People don't, don't trust the government today. They don't trust the scientists today. And they don't trust the media today. And they don't. And, and count me in. I'm one of those people. I don't trust what these people say because not only do they get it wrong, but they intentionally get it wrong. They covered up information and they, they withheld information about what was going on with COVID for nearly three years. And those people should be held accountable. Finally, and then I'll get off my uh Soapbox, because we have a great show lined up today. Um, you know, America, I think it was talking to my buddy, Larry Kudlow, who comes on before me with uh, uh, the Kudlow radio show. And he and I were talking about the fact that there is a happiness deficit in America today. Have you noticed that? Americans just aren't happy. And they're not happy, partly because of what happened during COVID, partly because of the crumbling economy, partly because of the fact that prices are so high that people's incomes are falling, partly because we're teaching our kids not to believe in God. We're teaching our kids to have sex change operations. We're teaching our kids that the world is coming to end. And I'm sick and tired of it. We should be giving our children an optimistic view of the future, not this doom and gloom, the world is coming to an end. I grew up with that crap. Remember, overpopulation. We're all going to be standing elbow to elbow. We can't control our fertility. We're running out of food. We're running out of energy. We're running out of farmland. We're running out of everything. We're going to have this kind of Malthusian, nightmarish future. That's exactly what they're doing today to our kids in school. And it's no wonder that you have so, especially girls, teenage girls, one third of teenage girls are now um, depressed. That's because of the crap that's in these schools. And it's got to stop. We have to give our children an optimistic view of the future, a realistic but optimistic view of the future. And we also have to have a new patriotism, a love of our country. Yes, we are a flawed country. Yes, we have sins in our past. Slavery was a horror. 
a horror. But we are the greatest country on this earth. There's no question about it. We are the least racist country on the planet. There's no country where minorities have greater opportunities than the United States. So let's celebrate that. Yes, we can point out our failures, but when are people going to start talking about this kind of greatness of America, that America was put here, as Ronald Reagan said, as a as a kind of um, pillar of freedom for the rest of the world. And that's what we are and continue to be. And I say we celebrate that rather than denounce America for our faults. That's my <laughs> That's my lecture for today. I don't often do that, but you can tell I feel very strongly about this. Now, I've got a great interview coming up in uh, about 20 minutes with my great, great uh, friend, Glenn Youngkin, who is the fantastic uh, governor of Virginia. You want to hear this because what he has to say is so important. But next up, we're going to hear from uh, two of the best in the business in the financial industry. That is um, uh, the Paynes um, and uh, Ryan and Bob Payne, who are so fantastic in terms of giving us great financial advice. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. This is the More Money Show on WABC Radio. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio. I'm your host, Steve Moore. Thanks for joining us again. It's time for our financial panel with two of the best in the business, Bob and Ryan Payne of Payne Capital Management. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining this afternoon. Let's get right down to it. What is going on, Bob Payne? Have you seen anything like this with this topsy-turvy market? I think people are getting a little seasick from watching these uh, big days of rally and then big day, uh, days of decline. What do you attribute this to? Well, you know, Steve, it's uh, it, it was a terrific January, not so good February. Right. But, you know, basically everybody's hanging on every bit of data that's coming out on inflation. So we had, you know, right. some hot numbers come in on the CPI, the PPI, the PCE. So you had a little bit of a correction and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all this pessimism is back again, which is actually good if you're an investor. So let me say that again. This is a really important point, and I know it's a point you've made many times on on this show that, you know, when everybody's running for the exits, that might be a time to want to uh, get into the market and, and invest more. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you really watch how, how markets work, you know, they they don't just go up a little bit every day, right? They kind of go sideways, put you to sleep, or they go up and down and keep you anxious. But the big moves come out of the blue. And if you're not right. in when the market goes up, you don't get these phenomenal historical returns that we're always talking about on the show. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. And so it's interesting because everybody's looking for the next big thing, Ryan. Uh, and obviously, you know, for the last uh, 10, 12, 15 years, it's been the phenomenal returns that you've seen in the technology industry. I'm getting asked a lot about some of this artificial intelligence. Is this the next big thing? And if so, 
what companies uh, should people be investing in robotics? I, I don't know how you feel about that, but what what in your opinion is the next big big thing, or can we even predict that? Well, first off, we're talking about is probably not the next best thing, big thing, right? <laughs> so, right. I, I think that's one of the the bigger mistakes is what what everyone wants to talk about and where is the hottest topic typically isn't the future. So right. I think what you said the latter there is you can't really predict what's going to happen next. And that's why it's so critical when you build your portfolio specifically for retirement, you'll own everything because you don't really know what's actually going to drive things next. You know, we have an old saying, the, the surprises and you know, what, what moves the market um, you know, is essentially the things that are unknowable. And I think that's essentially what you're seeing right now. Like who could have predicted that the international markets were going to outperform the U.S. markets. Right. Such horrible data coming out of Europe uh, over the course of the last year. Um, and, you know, what, whatever whatever we think is going to happen typically doesn't, I guess, long story short there. Yeah, I just saw an analysis that confirms what you're saying, that, um, you know, for the last you know 15 or 20 years, the U.S. market has been so red hot. And yet I think it was covering the you know last 14 months or so. The U.S. has actually been one of the most, uh, the poorest performing markets. So, uh, Bob, what what do you make of that? I mean, how does that change your investment strategy? Well, you know, our strategy doesn't change, Steve. Um, as I said last week, or two weeks ago, actually, uh, when it comes to investing, you got to trust, but you got to diversify, right? Because right. over time, markets do go up uh, globally, and you have to, you know, you just can't pick a spot and say, "Oh, now's the time to invest." You've got to stay invested at all times, but you've got to have that diversification to kind of minimize this volatility that you're talking about. You know, there's backers and forward movements that, you know, will make you think you have to do something where you really don't. You know, you sit back, you enjoy the you enjoy the investments as they go up over time, but you also are collecting dividends and accruing interest on your bonds every single day. So one of the things I find really interesting as an economist, and you guys are the financial experts, I'm the uh, economics guy on this panel, is, you know, we've seen uh, something called the uh, inverted yield curve. And it's actually become a bit more inverted where you have pretty high short-term rates now and still pretty low longer-term rates. uh, And that's very unusual. Now, a lot of my economist friends say that that's one of the top predictors of a recession. Um, I don't believe, I mean, it may be uh, correlated, but I'm not so sure it's causal. But Ryan, what do you, what do you make of the inverted yield curve now? And how does that affect the individual's investment strategy? Yeah, well, first off, I'm with you. Um, sometimes that predicts a, a recession like almost four years in advance, which is not very helpful. <laughs> so right. Right. It's, it's a like horrible saying, time. You know, umbrellas. Yeah. It's like saying umbrellas predict yeah. the rain, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, right. I see a recession somewhere in the future. Well, thanks. I appreciate right. that. Um, but, but well, I think, you know, you know the more... saying of our economists, by the way, that we've predicted 10 of the last four recessions. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite lines. Um, but, but I think more importantly, what that's pricing in is longer-term inflation is going to be lower. Right. And if you I look at what's being, yeah, what's being priced in, and that's, that's exactly what we want to see, right, as investors – and economically speaking is, is disinflation. Inflation starting to come down. And again, I think it's kind of that Goldilocks situation where from everything we see is the employment market's probably going to stay strong. The Fed probably can't affect that the way they want to. So if you have strong employment, you have prices coming down. That's a phenomenal combination for a relatively yeah. strong economy this year, not an economy falling off the cliff like we're hearing week after week. 
So uh, the other question question I have for you uh, both uh, this afternoon is about um, some of these other countries. And let's talk about the two big players in the market, Japan and China. And I'm asked a lot about, you know, should I be investing more in Chinese companies? China is coming out of the uh, pandemic. Finally, uh, I saw some numbers that came out this week that showed their manufacturing sector is really getting back up and running really quickly, and their output has increased pretty dramatically. What do you? What is your take on those two countries? Well, you know, first of all, Steve, we're big believers in diversifying internationally because there are some great companies that aren't headquartered in the U.S., you know, in Europe, in Japan, and even in China. Um, so when you look at the rest of the world, right, we've had a, a big booming economy coming out of COVID lockdowns. China's just coming out now, right? They're the only right. central bank in the world where they've been providing liquidity into their market, as opposed to, as you mentioned, our short-term rates are going up. That's quantitative tightening. You know, they've yep. been easing. They're making, they're, they're flooding the market with liquidity. So there's a lot of cheap companies that are traded in Japan and in China. Now, should you put all your money there? Of course not. But you should have somebody there to take yeah. advantage of it because, you know, their economy, they're, they're just saying last week that they think their GDP is going to grow between five and six percent. Right. Um, right. You know, we're going to be happy if we get one to two percent this year. You know, and listen to some of the bearish economists. They don't think there will be any growth. But mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't agree with that. So you want to make sure that you you, you take advantage of opportunities. Um, and there are great companies that are non-U.S., but, you know, you want to keep the majority of your money in our country, I believe. In the U.S. Okay. Ryan, yeah. do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And I think also Europe, you know, people are very negative on Europe, obviously. Um, but as multinationals in Europe actually disproportionately benefit from the reopening of China, they, they have more multinationals that sell to China than we do here in the U.S. So even indirectly, um, you want to own Europe as well here because that's one of the biggest beneficiaries of those Chinese consumers just like U.S. consumers, and it's hard to believe, they like to spend money too, and we all benefit from that. And I think that's a really important point, and that's why you want to have that global portfolio. And one last question. We've only got about two minutes left. Uh, I'm also being asked a lot um, by our listeners of ESG, which is uh, these new kind of social justice environmental uh, investing platforms, and I don't like them. I mean, I'm going to say that right now. I don't like this idea that, you know, the government's going to tell you how you have to invest your pension funds and so on. You can you can invest in this and not that what's politically correct. And as you know, you know, the oil companies were the biggest winners in the market last year and a lot of these ESG funds divested of them. How do we steer clear of making sure that politics are not part of, uh, you know, trumping our pensions? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, Steve, we're seeing a lot of pushback you know, from certain areas of, of the country you know, about ESG. And I just think we have to keep in mind, you know, like the, the markets beat everybody, right? So there, there are very few of any professional money managers can beat the underlying market. I certainly mm-hmm. don't think the government's going to be able to pick winners better than money, you know, money managers uh, who can't beat the market. I don't think they are going to as well. So I think if anything, it's going to hinder performance and make less money for everyone. Yeah. So hopefully I, I trend to, appears to me to be swinging the other direction, I hope it does. Uh, I think it does more harm than good. So the bottom line here is if I invest in pain capital management, you're not going to be playing politics, are you, with my with my money? <laughs> We're completely soulless when it comes to politics. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. You never want to let okay? your political view affect your investment planet. strategy. I just want to save the more money uh, retirement funds. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I'll tell you what. Awesome, guys. We'll, well thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Uh, this is the More Money Show. We'll be right back with some more great information from the pains. Really low interest rates, ideally, if you locked in before the beginning of this year. And, man, if you're sitting on a 3% rate, even a 4% rate, and now you can get 5% on a treasury, that's pretty cheap money to be borrowing at. Now, it sounds great, and I think from a mathematics perspective, uh, it makes a lot of sense not to pay that mortgage off. But there's also about what I would call having that peace of mind or what you like to call putting your portfolio to the sleep point so you're not worried about what debt you have and the burden of having to pay that mortgage every month. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'm really proud of all of you because if you take a look uh, prior you know, to, the, to COVID, you know, almost 40% of mortgages were adjustable rate or floating rate. Uh, now it's only less than 10%, right? So a lot of you took advantage of rates being really low, locked in that mortgage. And it makes sense, right? If you can do that arbitrage, we can make 5% when you're paying two and seven eighths or two and a quarter, two and three quarters, whatever it is. Uh, that's, that's not a bad idea, but you really do. You have to be careful. You have to understand how you feel about risk. Um, if the, if you feel more comfortable not having any debt, well, you know what? If it's going to make you sleep better at night, I found sleep is more important than net worth <laughs> in some, ta- in some cases. Yeah. Another big question that we get to is when it comes down to taking social security and, you know, a lot of rule of thumb say, oh, you should always take it at age seven to get the max benefit, or maybe you should take it at full retirement and not early. And the reality of it is when it comes to social security, everyone's a little bit different and the way you should take it might not necessarily be the same way that your neighbor takes it, right, to be the best or most optimal way to take it. Unfortunately, Rye, that's how everyone makes the determination on their Social Security. You know, what's my buddy that I played golf with doing with his uh, claim to Social Security? What's my neighbor doing? What my brother-in-law do? You know, it has nothing to do with you. You are a unique individual. Your situation's unique. Um, you may have a pension. You may have a spouse who's going to benefit from you taking or claiming Social Security at a different time, right? There must be what do you think? Two million different ways to claim Social Security? <laughs> you know, you want to make sure you choose the one that's right for you. Well, I think it's also good to remember, even though you get a higher benefit at age 70, a lot of times if you run the math on this and we do this, it takes you to age 80 to make up the difference not taking it earlier. And the question is, how lucky do you feel? How long are you going to live? I wish I could answer that question for you. But it's not a, a cut and dry decision. Um, you really got to look at all the different options and how it fits into your plan. You know, another big question we're getting right now, because a lot of our focal point is money saved in taxes. We say it on every show, Bob. It's not what you make. It's what you take. And, you know, right now, in, if you look at tax brackets, they're relatively low. And in 2025, they're going to sunset back to what tax brackets were only a couple years ago. So the question is, do you take money out of your retirement accounts now and put them into what we call a Roth, where the money's tax-free? And a lot of times, that could be a huge opportunity to save money on taxes. You know, I'm going to give you one big answer here, buddy. It depends. And I hate the fact you're forcing <laughs> me to act like these economists that we read about every day that say, on the one hand, you should do this. and the other hand, you should do that. But again, it does depend on your situation, your income situation. But I would say more cases than not, you're not taking advantage of the opportunity to put money away where it's tax-free for the rest of your life. And I think Roth conversions or something, everyone should have that analysis done every single year. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge deal. And really right now, you have to take advantage of the fact that, and look, the government spent a lot of money <laughs> over the last couple of years in the tune of $5 trillion. 
And Bob, I don't like to be a cynic, but I suspect tax rates are probably going up in the future. So anything you can do now to optimize taxes can have a huge impact negatively or positively, depending on the decisions you make today when it comes to taxes. And I can tell you with the 50 or so portfolios we look at a month, most of you are not taking advantage of every tax benefit that's available to you. And it's going to be a huge difference over retirement. It could be hundreds of thousands of dollars that aren't in your pocket because you're not making the right decision. Uh, you know, the other question, another gray area to look at as well is a lot of times you're wondering, do I get a long-term care policy? Healthcare costs are going to be a huge issue for most of us in retirement. Most of us have not planned for that. No, you really haven't. And I think that's the, that's the important part of planning is, is to do, you know, a test run, a test run of what your assets will look like, you know, for the rest of your life. What, what happens if we have inflation staying higher than normal? Um, if you live longer, than your, than your, you know, your ancestors did. And, and chances are you're going to. So when it comes to long-term care planning, there's, you know, there's a lot of different options, right? You can, you can self-insure, you can buy insurance, um, you can plan, you know, in some kind of a life plan community. There's a lot of different options that it really comes down to your individual situation once again. Yeah. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, like I've got to get on top of all these issues. Do I pay off my home right now? Do I start converting some of my money to be tax-free today? You know, what kind of insurance do I need in retirement? Well, here's your shot to do it. We still have five slots left. If you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement plan, Bob and I will run for you our now famous total financial master plan. We'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review where we literally look at everything. We'll go as far as building you your own personalized financial portal so we can get a bird's eye view of your entire financial life and just hone in on every financial issue you need to address. Do you have that income plan for retirement? How do you take Social Security? How do you draw from your portfolio and not run out of money? Have you factored in those extra health care costs? Have you factored in inflation? Your cost of living is going to double over the next 20 years. We put together a full dynamic income plan so you don't run out of money. We're going to look at diversification. Has your portfolio gotten hit hard? Were you taking more risk than you thought? Or have you been sitting in cash earning nothing on your money as inflation is still at 40-year highs? We're going to put together a full diversified game plan for you, show how to grow your money, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you high-cost products that are extremely tax inefficient. And those annuities, insurance products, brokerage products, mutual funds, we go through every investment you own, a complete deep dive. We show you where all the hidden costs are, show you how to reduce that cost and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make, it's what you take. We give you our full tax playbook so there's more money in your pocket. We literally have five slots left if you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement plan. All you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692 or just simply call 844 844- Plan NYC. That's 844-PLANNYC. If you're one of our next five callers, you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. Our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will help you to create your own unique total financial master plan. Now, there's no cost, no obligation, but you won't have a plan. You're not one of the next five callers. Text or call right now, 844-752-6692. That's 844 752 Six six nine two, or just simply call eight four four Plan NYC. That's eight four four P L A N N Y C. 
Hey, if you want to learn more about myself and Bob, simply go to BeBullish.com. You can learn about our firm, Payne Capital Management. Of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. Simply go to BeBullish.com. That's BeBullish.com. And if you have questions for Bob and I, simply go to BeBullish.com slash questions. Stay tuned. We got more, more money coming your way. This is Bob Payne, Chief Investment Strategist here at Payne Capital Management with this week's market update. This week on the Street of Dreams, the stock market stays a dramatic turnaround late in the week, pushing the major indices higher and snapping a four-week losing streak for the Dow. The rally was sparked by comments from Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic. Bostic stated that he is open to further rate hikes pending new data, but investors only listened to his comment that he expects the Fed would be in a position by mid to late summer to pause interest rate hikes. The bond market also rallied, with the 10-year Treasury yield slipping to 3.96% Friday, after closing above 4% for the first time since November. Now, markets have largely been shrugging off the recession rhetoric of bearish economists as the discourse has migrated from the beginning of the year when the consensus view was that the economy was on the verge of a hard landing to a new consensus that a soft landing was increasingly likely, and now to a rapidly growing consensus of a no-landing scenario with no recession or even an earnings slowdown in 2023. Now, stronger-than-expected economic data continued to come in this week, supporting the no-landing scenario. Two readouts released Friday on the health of the U.S. services sector showed relatively robust spending in February. The S&P Global U.S. Services PMI index rose to 50.6 in February from 46.8 in January. That's the highest reading since June, and it pushed the 50 threshold that signals expansion. Now, similar data for the Eurozone and China showed that activity in the services sector in both markets expanded this month. The ISM Institute for Supply Management Services Activity, the ISM Services Index, decreased slightly to 55.1 in February from 55.2 in January, but exceeded the consensus forecast of 54.3 among economists polled. So what is it going to be? A hard landing, a soft landing, or no landing? Well, time will tell. But rather than get hung up, on the ever-changing view of economists, we think it's best to stay invested. You see, stocks are leading indicators. They move ahead of earnings and recover long before the economic recovery is verified. So in the spirit of former President Ronald Reagan, as an investor, you should trust, but diversify. Hey, my son Ryan and I, we have 70 years of combined industry experience of building low-cost, tax-efficient, gold-based portfolios. For your free evaluation, all you need to do is text or call us right now at 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692, or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. Hey, this is Bob Payne. I'm the Chief Investment Strategist here at Payne Capital Management. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Thanks for joining WABC today. Great to be with you. And you know what? It's been a year, so I'm almost beyond new. (laughs) That is true. And so you've done an amazing job. You're one of the top governors in America, so congratulations on what you've done so far. Thank you. Um, We call this series Four Questions, so I'm going to ask you four very tough questions, and uh, we'll just speed through these, and um, I'm going to start with this. Number one. How do you turn a blue state red? You, you first determine that you need to turn it. 
And one of, the, one of the things that happened was Virginians came together and said they'd had enough of the left liberal policies that had really taken Virginia to a place nobody recognized her. And Virginians came together, not Republicans against Democrats. Second of all, we laid out a clear plan, a clear plan that said these are the things we're going to change. We're going to lower taxes. We're going to support law enforcement. We're going to fix education. We're going to make government work for you and not tell you what to do all the time. And then they hired us. And then we went to work and did that. And I am so pleased that we've been able to get everything moving that was on our campaign agenda. And we're seeing Virginians, as a result, see success. We're seeing businesses come. We're seeing jobs grow. We're seeing the cost of living settle down. We got $4 billion of tax cuts done. Yeah, we're, we're surplus. We're, we, we have another $3.6 billion surplus on top of the $4 billion. We're seeing education all of a sudden focused on students and parents and not the unions and bureaucrats. I mean, this is, I think, what, what change is about, and I'm really, really pleased to be in the middle of it. Number two, you did amazingly well with Hispanic voters, and I've always maintained that for Republicans to be a successful party, we need to win a majority of Hispanic voters. They're culturally conservative. They're the hardest working people you're ever going to find. They have family values. Uh, sometimes we haven't really reached out to Hispanics as a party is the way we should, but you did amazingly well. So what advice would you give to other Republicans in terms of how to win over the hearts and minds of these incredibly talented and hardworking Hispanic families? Engage. <laughs> Go see them. Spend time you, and listen. I engage thoroughly. Do you speak Spanish? No. No, no. un poquito. <laughs> no. right. Un poquito. But what we did was we, we, we went and sat down and listened with with uh, with the Hispanic and Latino community all over Virginia. And what we, of course, found was two amazing things. One, from a philosophy standpoint, faith, family, hard work, uh, conservative values, we were hugely aligned. And the second thing we found is Republicans never came and asked for their support and said that we will represent you, too. That's what we did. And we want a majority of the Latino vote in Virginia. Uh, third question is um, something you get asked a lot. How do how does the power Republican Party at this point deal with Donald J. Trump? As you know, I worked for Donald Trump. I was one of his economists. I think he was a great president, in my opinion, but he, in many ways, he was his own worst enemy. Um, many people want to move into a new era for the party, but Trump still has enormous support with a lot of the blue-collar voters that Republicans need. So what is your kind of advice about how the party moves forward with Trump? I mean, you had a great line you used to use when we were, I was watching on the campaign. You said, I have the Trumpers, I have the number Trumpers. And yeah. I, that's something we need to That's what we have to do. We, we have to work together. Right. And the reality of national politics is that it looks a lot like Virginia politics. It sure you know? does, doesn't we, it? We, have, we have a state that um, was historically red and became purple and then became really blue. And what we found, of course, is that the idea of losing again was overwhelmingly compelling for people. We must win. And what we worked to do was to bring people together, never Trumpers and forever Trumpers, in the same room, never been in the same room. We can do that. We can do this because it's 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 about leadership, and that's what we have to do. And we found that it wasn't all of a sudden between Republicans and Democrats. It became Virginians standing up for what's right And Americans are ready to stand up for what's right. We just have to hold everybody together and not have part of of politics that divides us. We actually have to find the political lane that unites us. Uh, And this is, uh, we've got uh, 30 seconds left. Who are the two or three or four people 
that have really influenced your life, not in terms of your, you know, your upbringing, but in politics? Who are the people that have had, an, whether historical or still living, that you look at as kind of role models? Well, I'm a Virginian. Right. And remember, an easy remember who right? all came from Virginia. Right. You look at our founding fathers right. and what they stood for. And you particularly, you know, start with George Washington and, and his recognition that leadership means you don't fall in love with leading. You, you <laughs> in fact hard. work for the people. Okay, George Washington. And then, who else? And then we deal with, with, then we have Patrick Henry who stood up and said that we are not going to have a constitution without a Bill of Rights. And we're going to stand up for individual freedoms and, and a constitution is hollow without protecting individual rights. And you have Thomas Jefferson who understood that with James Madison, with James Madison, that we have to have a government that is made up of equal and separate and branches. More recently, who would you say is a role model? Well, I, I was I was a, a teenager in my young twenties during during, uh, during the Reagan right. years, and I watched how Ronald Reagan united our nation around the future and what America could be, the shining city on the hill, and the fact that he brought people that are on opposite sides together. And it's time for that in America. Perfect. Governor, uh, much success for your future. And uh, whether you, uh, we, by the way, we please, please get this tax cut done. For I'm working. Year. Okay. I'm working. We got $4 billion done last year. I talked to Henry Cudlow. And we're going back for another billion. And there he says, tell the governor to get the, ta- the corporate tax cut done. We are working. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. WABC. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show. We are live on WABC Talk Radio. By the way, that interview that I did with Glenn Youngkin, I just think this guy is phenomenal. I'm not picking sides in the presidential race. As many of you know, I worked for uh, Donald J. Trump uh when he was president, and uh, I think he was a great president. Sometimes he's his own worst enemy, but I'm talking about his policies. Phenomenal, phenomenal, putting America first and rebuilding the American economy from the wreckage of Obama. And, uh, and uh, when I talked to the president a couple of weeks ago, he said, Steve, I rebuilt the economy twice. And he was referring to what he took over from Obama when the economy was flat on its back. And then, of course, um, rebuilding from from uh, COVID when uh, governors around the country shut down the economy. So um, but Glenn Young is just a guy to keep an eye on. And I love the fact that he talks about the great patriots of America, Patrick Henry and Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, all the Virginians. Uh, so I think he is someone to keep an eye on. I'm not taking sides in the election. We are great as Republicans, and I'm not assuming everyone is a Republican listening to this, but when we look at the bench of people like Ron DeSantis and Glenn Youngkin and uh, Nikki Haley and Mike Pence and, of course, Donald J. Trump and so many others. It's a great field. Uh, I promised I would take your calls, and I will. By the way, we were having some problems with our a normal more money hotline, so I have to give you the new number uh, you can call in right now. We'll take four or five of your calls. The new More Money Hotline, at least for this week, is ready for this. Get your pencils ready. One eight three three 
833-966-4447. And say that again, 833-966, I'm sorry, 833-969-4447 for the More Money Hotline, at least for this week. The topic that we're talking about that I, I'll start taking your calls in just one minute is I'm upset about the fact that um, there's too many there's too much doom and gloom in the media, among politicians, among the academics, about the direction of our country and about the direction of our planet. And it's depressing us. Americans are depressed. I saw a statistic uh, that was in the Wall Street Journal about a week ago that was really troubling that how many young people, high school and young college students, um, teenagers basically are depressed, and especially with girls. And I think it's because we're not, we're not providing our kids in the schools and our culture with an optic optimistic message that things are getting better all the time and they are i wrote a book of that title by the way about 20 years ago called it's getting better all the time every single indicator is showing improvement not not things getting worse things getting better the other thing that i find so troubling is the anti-america bias in our own textbooks and our faculty in the culture that America is responsible for all the problems in the world when, in fact, we're the savior for the world. Why is it, I say this every week, if we're such a terrible country, why is it that people are lining it to get into this country, not getting out of this country? And because um, it's, it's amazing. Foreigners seem to understand better than we Americans do what an incredible country this is, what a land of opportunity this is, what a place where you can be free and live free and breathe free. Um, so I want to see our a cultural shift if i may a cultural shift towards celebrating the greatness of our country and the greatness of the american people and the inventiveness i mean there's a reason that silicon valley is in america because we are the most innovative people in the world so do you agree with that do you disagree with it we've got about uh, 10 minutes left so i'm going to start with our first caller, which Eddie of the Yonkers. Eddie, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, good afternoon, Mr. Moore. Mr. Moore, I've known you for a long time. I, uh, you're a very intelligent man. But uh, let me just say this. I'm a Democrat. Let me make a point and tell me if you agree or disagree. I'd like to hear your okay. point. In order for, when I look in the mirror, I'm a retired math teacher, so I'm an intelligent guy. I think I know more math than 90% of the people in this country. But that doesn't mean that I'm smarter than anybody. Because when I look in the mirror, if I'm going to criticize the other side, I have to be able to criticize my own side. And, mm -hmm. and I have done that. Yep. And that applies to both Democrats and Republicans. But to be totally candid, I never hear you, okay, you mentioned that Trump is his own worst enemy at times, but I never hear you criticize or can, can commend Rupert yeah. Murdoch for saying yeah. that his TV hosts lied about the election. They lied, and you haven't said anything about that. And that should be condemned, what they did. And even Rupert Murdoch said there should be punishment and even maybe they'd be fired. But why don't Eddie, you talk uh, about the other side? Miss Senator Flake. All right. Let, let me just respond because I'm glad you called. Uh, I love when Democrats call in, and I love when people provide alternative perspectives, if you have. By the way, thank you for 
teaching our kids math. <laughs> Thank you for your service to our country. Uh, great teachers like you are worth your weight in gold. So are you retired or are you still teaching? I'm 74 years old. I, I, I can't do it. Uh, it's just too much. Five classes a day. Well, thank you, you for doing what you do. You know, and and I take your point, and I need to be more kind of fair-minded about this, but I get so upset sometimes when I hear some of the crazy things liberals say. But you are right, sir. Sometimes you hear the craziness from the right, and I'm going to try to do a better job of calling out both parties and both movements. Okay, Eddie? Okay. <laughs> Great call. All right, let's move on. I think uh, who is our next caller, Mr. Producer? Our next caller is John from Long Island. John from Long Island. Thanks so much for calling in, sir. Do we have John? Hello? John, Hi. thanks for calling. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Hello? Yes, Listen, we got the you. last caller, the last caller that called, it, it, uh, tell the guy it's a math, it's a business show. It's a math show. Talk about math. Talk about talk about election stuff on a different show. My point is, I hear you. You know, you condemn Republicans and Democrats, just like McConnell signed off that uh, five trillion yeah. vote where everybody's yeah. got to pay more money. So, uh, Mr. Moore, yeah. I agree with you. You you do speak up. It's just this guy probably doesn't listen to the show. Good point. Uh, what, got anything else? Thanks for saying that. What do you think about what I'm saying about oh, how we're not teaching well, my, kids to be pro-America? My point is we have uh, this banks, all these big banks going to the ESG. Is there a way to get a list of where, you know, who's going to be doing ESG and who doesn't? And there's also, maybe you could speak or speak about the bank, it's called Old Glory. It was sponsored by Larry... Um, Mr. Uh, what's his name? Well, it was uh, John Rich, Larry Elder, and uh, Ben, Mr. Dr. Ben Carson. All put this up because it's not going to be. All right, John, John, we're we're running out of time here. I want to try to get great, great point. Thanks for coming to my defense, sir. I don't know if we have time to squeeze one more call in. If we have one, Mr. Producer, yeah, we do. Uh, we have uh, Jim from Manhattan. June, thanks for calling in. Jim, Jim. Jim, sorry. Jim, thanks for calling in. Yeah, hello, Mr. Moore. You know, I say to make fracking popular, Republicans should say all fracking oil and natural gas produced in your state will be required to be sold only in your state to create energy independence that will lower prices at the gas station and cut inflation in your state, let's say New York, for example. Yeah, so... So uh, let me, I think you have an interesting point here because, you know, I'm very pro, um, the shale oil and gas revolution is amazing. We have so much new oil and gas that we can be drilling. And in New York, I believe that your politicians have not allowed, and by the way, New York has an abundance of shale oil and gas and from the Utica shale and so on. I don't understand why that Marcella shale and the Utica shale isn't being drilled in New York. But if it were, think about how it would lower the prices of energy. I think you have an excellent point, sir. And why do we want to get our oil and gas from, you know, other countries like OPEC when we can produce it here? This is exactly my point I'm making. We need one of the things I love about Trump, and I know people have a lot of things people disagree with about Trump, but I liked 
his agenda of putting America first. Every decision that our president makes, ladies and gentlemen, should be about putting American interests first. I care about the world, but you know what? I care about this country. We can't solve every problem in the world, right? We can't be the world's uh, policemen. Uh, I, I think Americans are fed up with that. But what we can do, as Reagan talked about, is lead the world by example. If we get it right, if we move towards lower taxes, if we move towards energy independence, if we uh, move towards um, a lean, efficient government, if we have a trade policy that works for us, if we're creating jobs here in the United States of America, other countries will learn from what we do because, <laughs> look, Freedom and free markets truly are the goose that lays the golden eggs. And we can never forget that. We have to lead the rest of the world by, a, by, a, by being a shining example of how to create prosperity, how to pr produce happiness. And frankly, I don't believe our politicians are doing that. When you have a president of the United States who's basically saying he's vetoing a bill that would reduce crime and murder and um, – and felonies and armed robberies in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Why would he do that? Why would the president do that? Why would the president – by the way, Biden has finally backed off that. He said he's going to uh, sign that bill, but there were the vast majority of Democrats in the Congress didn't want to go along with it. Uh, why is the president saying he's going to veto a bill that's going to require people's pensions to be smaller so that he, so that he can promote a green energy agenda? I don't I, – here's my theme, guys. I want the government's hands off my pensions, hands off my pension, hand off your pension. Let the free market decide. Let's not, uh, you know, screw around with people's pensions so they get a lower benefit. Are you willing to get a lower benefit so that the president can pursue a political agenda? Because I'm not. And that's what ESG is, folks. Been a great, uh, great show today. Thanks so much for joining us. I'll be back same time next week. This is the More Money Show. This is WABC Radio, and I hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.